Um, just a little announcement to make. Um, if you would please not park in front of the basketball court, and if you have parked there right now, I want you to go and move. No, I'm just joking. But don't park in front of the basketball court because the kids like, I, I, I was going to say during halftime, between services, the kids like going out and playing basketball and like that. You can park in, in our driveway, in front of our garage. You can park on the side of the road there. But try to keep the basketball area open for the kids. I'd really appreciate that. Um, we're going to be having a baptismal service. In fact, it was interesting. While I was going over my message, I was looking out my study window, and I saw the truck pull up, dropping it off. And uh, so if you have never been baptized as a believer, it's a good thing to do that. And uh, because the Bible says, believe and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have a sign-up sheet out there. Just put your name down, and um, we'll have a, uh, once we have a group, we'll probably, not probably, we will have a short class. Uh, won't take only but a few minutes. Um, giving you the biblical reasons for baptism and giving you also an appropriate opportunity to confess your faith. And because being baptized isn't a ritual. It's a testimony of our faith of being born again. So anyway, I encourage you to think about that. And also, um, a lot of announcements. Starting in September, uh, I'm going to be doing on Wednesday night a study through this wonderful book, the book of Revelation made plain and clear. And... Um, so what I would like you to do, if you, if you would be interested in taking this uh, study, you can go to Amazon or any place, and you can purchase the book. And uh, by my favorite author, but... Uh, but it's such a time that we're living in that this book is really worth studying. Because it's not like I came up with some great, wonderful ideas. I'm simply going through the book of Revelation in this book. I go basically verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And we're living in the time of the end. It's an opportunity for us to know ahead of time. God tells us that that's the purpose of prophecy, to let us know ahead of time what's going to happen so that when it does happen, we know it's of him. And so um, I'd encourage you to uh, think about purchasing a book. And we're not doing it the way we do normal Bible studies on Wednesdays. It's going to be like we do on Sunday morning. We're going to be using the cameras. It's going to be you know, on the internet and, and on our website and so forth like that. So you can watch it live. And also, um, what I plan on doing is allowing people to write in questions that they might have. And then the following week, I, I would try to answer those questions for them. And uh, so I think that's all the announcements that I have to make, I believe. Yeah, there's a f yes, there's still some of those books at the front desk if uh, you want to want to pick one of those up. And uh, you know, it's very relevant, the portion that we're covering this morning, because the portion that we're looking at this morning is talking about the plan that God had for Israel. And that was Israel's beginnings. But as we study the Word of God, it becomes very clear that God has a very definite plan for Israel at the end. Not only at the beginning, but at the end. Because we have to understand that the time of the Gentiles is going to come to its fullness. And it tells us that in Revelation. And the ministry is going to go back into the hands of the Jews. And so the Lord is preparing that 
to occur. And everything that we see happening in the Middle East isn't just some political consequence. It is biblical prophecy being fulfilled to the letter. And it's interesting because so many people say, how do you know the Bible is true? Because of the clear word of prophecy. That's what the Bible says about itself. And the Bible is one-third prophecy. No other holy book has prophecy in it. And the reason for that is, if you prophesy something's going to happen, and it doesn't happen, you know the book's a lie. It's, it's false. And so they don't dare put prophecy in it. But God has put prophecy after prophecy after prophecy in Scripture, and they're all being fulfilled right to the T, right to the letter. And so um, it's just absolutely amazing. And that's why the study of Revelation is so important right now. We're living in that day. We need to be motivated as a people brothers and sisters, to share our faith with everyone we have opportunity to. You know people that aren't saved that I don't even know. And so I give you encouragement. Really share your faith. Take opportunity to share your faith with people. And, and one other thing before I, I, or I was going to forget, this study that we're going to be doing on Revelation, we're not going to be starting until September because in August I have a few minor procedures coming up. And so we won't be starting until September. And it also gives you a, an opportunity to get the book and to get yourself read through the book of Revelation. You should read through it before you even start the study. Okay, um, Joshua chapter 9 we're in. And uh, this portion is so relevant today. You know, we look at the Old Testament and so often we think, how does that relate to us today? Well, it very much relates to us today because everything that was written in the past was written for our learning, that through endurance of the Scriptures we might have hope. And so the things that we see happening in a literal sense in the Old Testament oftentimes is very related to us and is happening to us in a spiritual sense in the times in which we're living. And um, so as we look at these portions, just think about how it relates to you in, in the world in which we live. We're starting off with Joshua chapter 9. We're going to cover uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. And it came to pass, when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowlands and in the, cross, uh, and in the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. What have they heard about they heard about how God defeated, uh, Israel defeated Jericho with the help of God, and how they defeated Ai. We know the little mishap they had at the beginning. You know, they went without God's approval. But when God did give them the plan, they had total victory. So these people are thinking, well, we better mass together and fight against God. And see, that's the, the point. There are two ways that people, actually there's three way, ways people handle a relationship or a confrontation with God. And when I say confrontation, I don't mean in some kind of a, you know, a battle or, or argument way. I'm in confrontation in the fact that there he is. You've got to make a decision. And there are those people that want to fight against him and come against all kinds of reasons why God isn't real and why God isn't true. And then there are others, like we're going to uh, be reading, reading about with the Gibeonites, and they thought, well, you know, this God is powerful. Let's kind of make a treaty with him. Let's kind of just come into an understanding with him. And then there are those of us that just surrender to the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants complete surrender. So first we're going to be looking at 
um, these nations, you know, these uh, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and how they come against the nation Israel. And they made the mistake of thinking that their battle was against Israel. You understand their battle wasn't against Israel. Their battle was against God Almighty. And I'll tell you something. No one wins a battle against God Almighty. And that was the huge mistake that they made. In Romans 8.31 it says, in Romans 8.31 if you take note, notes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's true today. If God is for you, if God is showing you to do something, if God is leading you in a certain direction, he is with you. He is for you, and no one can stand in your way. No one or nothing can stand in your way when you're in the will of God and going in the direction he's calling you to. You know, we find that in the days in which we're living, uh, the enemies of God are always ready to fight, aren't they, against the faith. And they come together with one accord. And uh, think about it. There's no other faith system in the world that receives the abuse of Christianity and Judaism. You can't think of one other faith system. In fact, oh, don't say anything about this faith system. Oh, don't say anything about that faith system. That's all, all politically correct. But let's make jokes about Christianity. Let's make sure in all our movies uh, Christianity is, is portrayed in a horrible way and, and Judaism and Jews in a horrible way. Why are these two faith systems so attacked? Because Christianity is the truth. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, you understand. They were promised the Messiah would come. And the first Christians were Jews. And the Messiah did come and anyone who calls upon his name would be saved. And so we look at this, and you think about how the world hates Christianity. This is going to sound silly, but I, I, there's really um, a point to this, because um, the, gods, the God of the Bible, not gods, forgive me, Lord, the God of the Bible is uh, used as a curse word, and no other, no other is. For instance, people don't say, Harry Krishna. Or they don't say, oh, Buddha. Or they don't say, Muhammad, damn you. Why is it? Because Satan is the prince of this world, and he wants to demean the name of God. He wants to lower the value of the name of God by making it a curse word and making it very common. And yet there is no other name under heaven by which a man must be saved and named Jesus Christ. It's the most powerful name in the world. So you can say it as a swear word, Jesus Christ, and it sounds awful. Or you can say it as a term of praise, Jesus Christ, I love you. And it's a beautiful thing. See, what nations and people don't realize is that what we are told in Hebrews 10.31 is this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Understand, everyone's going to stand before the Lord. Whether you believe, I don't mean you, but whether people believe in God or not, whether people believe in Jesus Christ or not, everyone is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone. And can you imagine the fear, and it should be, of those who stand before him, who have rejected him their whole life, who cursed him, who mocked him, who made fun of him. 
But the fact is, those of us who believe upon the name of the Lord, it's going to be the greatest day in the world to stand before our God and to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, we should never have the attitude, yeah, I can't wait till they stand before the throne of God and he just pours out fire and burns them up. You know, That's not our attitude. Our attitude should be, because I know this is going to be the outcome of those that reject God, I'm going to do everything I can to bring them to salvation. We should have a burning passion in our heart to bring people to salvation. How many of your friends and neighbors and even family don't know Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying this to make anyone feel bad, but have you ever noticed sometimes with our neighbors, our friends, and our family, they're the ones that we just keep quiet in front of because we don't want to cause uncomfortable feelings. We don't want to cause family disputes. You don't want to cause a family dispute and you're going to hell? It doesn't make any sense. I would rather have family members and friends and, 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 and you know, other people, co-workers and so, and so forth, I'd rather have them despise me knowing that I shared the truth with them. And sometimes it can turn around. I mean, I, I can tell you uh, more than one situation, including with myself. I was this way too, where, where I would share my faith with people and they'd be so ticked off at me and they'd be so angry at me and they would do everything to show their opposition to Christianity, then they get saved. Vi and I used to mock Christianity. And um, Vi's brother got saved, you know, some years before we did. And Vi and I would walk around the house and we'd say to one another, if something good happened, we'd go, praise the Lord! <laughs> and now we lift up our hands and we say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so we want to make sure that we're not like these nations who thought that they could come against God and have victory. Because it's a wonderful thing when we realize what it tells us in Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, the thing we have to ask is, do, do you fear the Lord? In his hands lie life and death. Do you fear, Lord, fear the Lord? You should. And I'm not talking about the fear like, oh, it's a monster coming. I'm talking about a reverent fear, knowing the power that someone has, the power of God. And so we should have a fear of the Lord. And that is the beginning of wisdom, because knowing that he is the one who has the power of life and death, spiritual life and death, guess what? I want to come to him and be in relationship with him, and to seek, and to feel, and to know, and to understand his forgiveness. And what I love is he not only forgives us our sins, but what does it say? He takes them as far from us as the east is from the west. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know about you. There are sins in my life I'd like to forget about. Guess what? The Lord has already. He's taken them as far as the east is from the west. And he wants us to let go of them as well. Because if you're allowing past sin to pull you down, then you're playing right in the hands of the devil. You've repented, and you ask God's forgiveness, and you have it, and you've received it, and it's gone. It's past. You can't allow yourself to hang on to it any longer. You know, we're living in a world that has no fear of God 
and destruction's at hand. Vi was telling me about some, or I don't know if someone was telling her, is it a TV show? Some TV show that's coming out, and it's going to be a whole series. And in this series, a bunch of people are raptured out of the world. Sounds good. But then a group of them comes back. And guess what they're called? The believers. That's what they're called in the show. And they're evil. And they're fighting against the good people of earth, of the world. Do you understand the times in which we're living are laid out in Scripture? Good is taken for evil. Evil is taken for good. This world is absolutely going insane. But it tells us, for instance, in Revelation 14, 19, so the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine, uh, vines of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. All the, the wrath and, and all the evil and all the ugliness of this world one day is going to face the wrath of God and is going to be thrown into the winepress of his fierceness. And that time is at hand. It is so close. Now, going to verse 3, we have uh, some people that have a different approach to the power of Israel. But when the, the inhabitants of Gideon heard that Joshua, what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily, and they went and they pretended to be ambassadors. And I won't read the whole thing, but what they do is they pretend that they're from a far-off country. Because you have to understand, God said to Israel, I'm giving you this land of Cana. And so the Israelites were told to go in and wipe them out because the sin of the Canaanites had become full. Don't allow any of them to live. And so there's a group of people living right in Cana, and they wanted to avoid the wrath of the Israelites. And so they go and they put on old clothes like they've had them been, you know, been for months. They put on old shoes that were worn out, and they had wineskins that were torn and empty, and you know, they let themselves just become disheveled and so forth. And they came to the Israelites, and they said, oh, these are the Gibeonites. We're, we're from a far-off country, and we've heard of the greatness of your God, and so we want to make a treaty with you. And so the Israelites... And we're going to look, about, look at this in a, in a moment. Without consulting the Lord, made a treaty with them. And it was only after they made a treaty with them that they found that they were their neighbors. The enemy always wants to make a treaty with us. But we have to be careful because treaties are deceptive. Because can you imagine what they did. I mean, putting on all these old clothes and this worn out sandals and disheveled hair and the empty wineskins. Can you imagine they did all that as a deception? And Israel was deceived. But the problem is they didn't seek the Lord and they made a deal with them. They gave them a promise in the name of the Lord. So when the deception was revealed, they could not do anything. They could not wipe out the Gibeonites. They couldn't wipe them out because they made this promise through Almighty God. And um, so here they are with enemies right near them, and they're stuck. And um, look at verse 14 of chapter 9. 
I, I want, want you to really see that, underline it. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Anytime we're in a situation and we don't ask counsel of the Lord, it's a huge mistake. Because here's the simple thing. God knows things that you don't know. And I remember years ago, and it was after I, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, after I finished graduate school, and I actually um, um, applied for a direct commission. And uh, it was actually going to be in the Navy, but uh, I applied for a direct commission and um, ended up uh, having the Army respond to it and tell me, that they would like to use me in that capacity. But I needed to sign up, you know, for three... I'd already been through the regular army. This is reserved. I had needed to sign up for, um, you know, a few years. And then uh, they would be able to take action on it. So anyway, I signed up for the three years, and I went to my summer training that year, and they actually had me doing the job that I was going to receive a direct commission for. And I hated it. I despised the job and how wonderful it was to realize that I could back out of this commitment. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. And we have to realize that there are times that the Lord is giving us a chance to back out of some commitments we might think we want that we're heading towards and we need to back away from it. Because the devil and the world, they're very sneaky. And we have to understand that Satan is the prince of this world. Now, you as a believer cannot be possessed or even um, you know, overwhelmed by Satan because you have Jesus Christ. But Satan can still have an influence on you. We call it oppression. He can oppress you. He can have influence on you. He can try to get you to do this and try to get you to do that. And we have to resist the devil. And Scripture says when we, when we resist the devil, what does he do? Flees from us. Now, um, the thing is, the Gibeonites, they had a fear of God without understanding. You understand, they had a fear of God. They recognized that it was God that did all these great things for the Israelites. And they had a fear of him. They really did. And that's why they wanted to make this treaty. But they had no understanding. Instead of coming to God in submission, you understand what I'm saying? Um, believers should never be controlled by fear, but love. Everything we do should be out of love. For our Lord, not out of fear. Well, if I don't do this, God's going to get me. No, no. I do this because God loves me, and I want to, want to express my love back to him. And uh, that's why in, in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14 and verses 15 and 16, if you take notes, it says, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. So it's not enough to have an understanding of God. We need to have the power of God in our life. We need to be born again. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And how many people do you know that say, oh, I'm a Christian. You are. Well, tell me about your uh, salvation. When did you get saved? I was always saved. I always went to church. 
The minute a person says that, you can have a lot of assurance. They probably really don't understand what it means to be born again of the Spirit. I always went to church. I always had an understanding of God. I always believed in Christ, but I wasn't saved until I came to that place where I was able to kneel before the, the Lord and say, God, forgive me a sinner. Come in and take over my life. And, of course, he did. You know, um, those, these Gibeonites, they had a fear of the Lord, and they made a plan. It was a deceptive plan, but nevertheless, they made a plan because they realized the power of God. And um, once again, keep in mind, Israel made the treaty with them without consulting the Lord. Because if they would have consulted the Lord, the Lord would have shown them, these are your neighbors. They're not from a far-off country. And so to make plans without consulting God is a huge mistake. To make deals or treaties with the enemy of God can be a huge mistake no matter how good the treaty seems. You know, for instance, I'm a conservative you know, politically, I'm a conservative, but I am not political. You understand what I mean? I, I lean towards conservative values, especially those that uphold the, the things of God and so forth. But if you just look at the conservative party politically, they, they, they have no problem with homosexual marriages. They have no problem with a lot of things like that. So when I say, you know, I'm a conservative, but I'm not part of the conservative party in that sense it's because see how it's like making a deal i'm going to make a deal with them you know they feel you know the conservative uh, conservatives believe a lot like i do they believe in you know moral values they believe in standards of scripture and they believe in you know in our nation they believe in in the rights that you know we have in this nation they believe in all those things so do i but then we'll say homosexual marriage is okay do you kind of get the point that I'm making here? So you make a treaty with someone thinking they're in full agreement, and they're not. And so we have to be careful. It's so easy to allow ourselves to fall into a political mindset to where we're making treaties, we're accepting uh, you know, a, a particular party's stand when they have things in there that are contrary to the word of God. Well, we can't do that. It's the same mistake that these people make. Now, the thing is that we can even make treaties with ourselves. Well, okay, I know I shouldn't do this, but maybe it'll be okay if I do that. Or... Uh, maybe this isn't totally that bad. Maybe there's some good things in this. We, we make treaties with ourselves, trying to give ourselves a clear conscience on things or doing things or going places that we shouldn't go, that we should really you know, give to the Lord. And um, making excuses for anything in our life is making treaties. There's no excuse for sin. None at all. Well, I do this, but... Well, there's reasons why. Well, these are the consequences of such and such. Or th this is my reasoning. No, no, no. Is it against the word of God or in favor of it? If, if it's against the word of God, it's wrong. You don't make a treaty with it. 
You just accept it for what it is. It's wrong. And then in Joshua chapter 9, verses 16 through 21, uh, that, um, you know, they made this covenant with these people, and, uh, and, and it ended up just coming back down on their heads. Then in verse 19, then the ruler said to all the congregation, we have sworn to, this is verse 19, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore, uh, we may not touch them, but this we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we had sworn to them. So even though they didn't consult the Lord, they made an oath in the name of the Lord, and they were held responsible to it. Verse 21, And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregations, as the rulers had promised them. So even when the deception was revealed, Yahweh would not let them out of their treaty. They made that commitment. And there are times that we put ourselves in positions that we must accept the consequences of what we've done. And it's a very discouraging thing to knowingly make neighbors of our enemies. And sometimes I, I think we allow ourselves to do that. Um, well, you know, I, I, I think this isn't that bad. I think this is okay. Well, I know they don't feel the same way we do, but and, and so we start making neighbors with our enemies. Now, understand, I'm not saying we should go around with a hateful attitude and a sword in our hand wanting to strike down everyone who doesn't agree with the Scripture. That's exactly the opposite of the way the Lord told us to approach humanity. All I'm saying is in our heart, in our personal life, we don't make treaties with the enemy. We don't make neighbors of our enemy. We take a stand. But yet, our relationship with the enemy is one of love. A desire to see them born again, saved, brought into the kingdom of God. Because if there's anyone in your life, and, and just be honest with yourself, if there's anyone in your life you're thinking, I can't wait till they go to hell. <laughs> or, or you're thinking, I know when they die they're going to hell. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, your attitude's wrong. And you need to pray about it. You need to ask God's forgiveness. You need to pray that he gives you a heart and attitude of love. And I remember um, Amir Safadi, you all know who he is probably from Behold Israel. And you, if you go online, you can watch him. He gives, he, he's in Israel. In fact, he's a third generation Jew born in, uh, you know, in Jerusalem. And, um, but anyway, uh, he was in a foster home as a child, which is very unusual because Jewish families are usually very tight and, and wholesome. But he was in a, in a foster home for most of his life. And he's now a lieutenant commander in the um, uh, IDF. But anyway, when he was in a foster home, he had one of his foster brothers that he had fistfights with every day. They hated each other. And he ended up going to an evangelistic meeting. It was the Jesus movie, actually, in Israel. And he went there, and he got saved. He was born again and just really fell completely in love with the Lord, started going to a Christian church. And, and he said to the Lord, he said, he said, Lord, Please make one of my foster brothers a believer so I have a companion, but not this guy. Guess who got saved? That guy. And Amir, after all these years, is they, have be, they are so close, they talk to each other every single day on the phone. Every day. And so the point I'm getting at, don't ever have an attitude towards unbelievers that, well, I hope they get theirs. 
because it's only by the grace of God you don't get yours. You know what I mean? And so we have to have that kind of an attitude. And um, in Psalm 1-1, and I love this because it's the first psalm, and it's the first verse in the first psalm. It said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits at the seat of the scornful. And so we have to realize we don't want to allow ourselves around sin in any shape, way, or form. You know, sin is sin. Now, I'm not saying that when you walk through the mall or you walk down the street or wherever you go, go to work, you're not going to be all around sinners. Of course you are. But you don't participate in their sinful attitudes and understanding. You know, you're on break and you're sitting at the table having a cup of coffee and all of a sudden all these dirty jokes start flying. You know what you do? You get up and you say, Curse you in the name of the Lord. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know what you do? You stand up and you leave. You don't have to say a word. But you're not allowing yourself to sit with the scornful. You're not allowing yourself. You get up and you walk away. And you want to know something? They'll feel conviction. They might make fun of you. They might mock you. But they're feeling conviction. And your attitude should always remain loving towards them. Because they might treat you very... When they find out you're a believer, they might do everything they can to make life miserable for you. It doesn't make any difference. You just portray the love of God every opportunity that you have. Now, um, sin also, like the, the Gibeonites disguise themselves as being from a far-off country. And sin can disguise itself as being a nation of peace with us. Being a people of peace with us. But the enemies are, of our faith will always be the enemies of our faith. All they're doing is they're just waiting, waiting for the opportunity you know, to come against us. And so even though Joshua could not annul the treaty, he could bring them into subjection to him. And we must make our weaknesses and our unwise treaties come into subjection to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. They became woodcutters and they became water bearers and so forth for the Israelites. They brought them into subjection. And we have to, the enemies of our faith, the enemies of our life, the enemies of our soul, those things that just pull us down, we must bring them into subjection. But understand, even though they brought the Gideonites into subjection, they were never their allies. They were never their allies. And uh, all through Joshua, we're going to be finishing Joshua, and through all the judges, the period of the judges, the Gibeonites stayed in subjection to Israel. But during the time of the first king, King Saul, they rebelled against Israel. And we all know the account. Saul made a big, huge attack on them, even though he wasn't supposed to. And because of the tree, he went in and he slaughtered a bunch of the Gibeonites. And... Um, the Gibeonites from that time on were a thorn in the flesh of Israel. As a matter of fact, when David became king, God said to David, you need to take seven of Saul's sons because the Gibeonites were demanding seven of Saul's sons to come and be executed because of the slaughter they had made on the Gibeonites. And David had to give seven of his own people to the Gibeonites 
to be slaughtered. And the Gibeonites were a thorn in the flesh of Israel from that time on. So don't ever think that you've brought some sin area into complete subjection and that you can back off. No, no, no. You have to be diligent to take a stand against all those things that try to pull you down. And um, see, the, it's interesting too, because one of the reasons the Gibeonites were a thorn in the flesh of uh, the Israelites is they were like a wedge between Judah, which we call, Judah and Benjamin was called the southern kingdom. And then the northern kingdom, the other ten tribes up here, were cut off. There's like a wedge. The Gibeonites were like a wedge between them. And we all know what happened after uh, you had Saul and you had David and Solomon. And Solomon was the last king of the United Kingdom. They were divided from then on. And the Gibeonites had a lot to do with it. So don't allow the sin of your life, don't allow the Gibeonites of your life to make some kind of a treaty with you. You just hold them off. No. I know that I'm tempted in this way. I know you are an enemy of mine, but I'm not going to make a treaty with you. And um, it's just so interesting because we might think that we have control of our enemies like the Israelites did with the Gibeonites, the enemies of our flesh, but we don't. Because the minute the right opportunity comes, it'll spring up and come against us. You guys know what I mean. You have some area that you've had victory over, you've kept a hold on it, and this and that, and all of a sudden, boom, it springs up. And so the answer is simply that we, as believers, need to give it to the Lord. And uh, anything in your life that allows you to sin or has the potential of bringing you down to sin, you have to give it to the Lord. And one of the things we realize is that there are areas in our life that we battle over our whole life, but we don't make treaties with them. For instance, you might have an area of your life, a sin area of your life, that you deal with, you struggle with. And I've shared this with you before. Isn't it amazing when, you're, when you get saved, you get born again, there are certain sins that just, they're gone. They're just gone. You don't deal with them. You know what I mean? Like for me, I think of tobacco and alcohol. and don't even deal with them. There are sins that are just gone. Then there are other areas that, man, they are a constant thorn in our flesh, aren't they? They're constantly coming at us. But we don't make treaties with them. We recognize them as being wrong, and we take them before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness when we fall and for his power to stay standing in the name of Jesus Christ. And so there are areas that we will battle with our whole life, but here's the key word, that we battle with. Don't ever accept it. Don't ever make a treaty. Because the Lord our God is awesome. He is awesome. He's given us promises that nothing in this world can take away. He's given us promises that right now we have a relationship with the living God that never ceases. Even after death, we're with him forever. It's absolutely amazing. And so you and I need to make sure that our focus is on the living God. You know, I, I was sharing, Vi and I were talking about this portion last night, and I was sharing the fact that a, a lot of people will say, 
God's a big part of my life. Me. You're wrong. God is your life. God is your life. And what you do as a profession or what you do you know, to earn a living and so forth, that's just what you do. But that's not your life. Your life is God. And so I encourage each one of you, put to death the enemies of your soul. Don't make treaties with them. And stand before God asking that his power would fill you. His Holy Spirit would give you wisdom and strength because God is faithful. He's faithful. Don't make them your neighbors. Move away. <laughs> Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word with these, your people. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the portion we covered this morning would encourage everyone in their walk with you and just fill them to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that they might have victory over the enemies of their soul. And Father, we long for that day we're going to be with you. We see what's happening in the world and we recognize without any doubt that your wrath is about to be poured out on this world. And yet you've given us a promise that he's, you have not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation. And so one day, <coughs> your church is going to be taken out of this world. And how thankful we are that we're going to be part of that great host that will meet you in the air. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Amen.